Good evening and welcome to this Spirit and Life Bible study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And uh, we are doing something with the title of The Nexus Part 4, Behind That Line. I want to explain this a little bit. It's about the protection. We've been studying why the Lord came into this world and what was He doing? What was the effort to join what is divine and what is human? And a major part of this was to try to get evil from being so invasive. There are things in this world that are invasive. You know, sometimes you have invasive species, you have invasive tumors, or there are, this time of year, sometimes there are swarms, or there are, you know, rats or whatever. And uh, it, it's very troubling when there's this swarm or this encroachment or, you know, something coming into your house or coming over the fence into your yard or whatever it is. And you want to try to push that back. There was a similar situation, seriously, that the Lord was dealing with where evil was encroaching in a very big way. It was, it was growing and attacking and making it more and more difficult for the heavens. Swedenborg even says in one passage that the uh, lower heavens were on the verge of being corrupted so that the higher heavens would have gone into a swoon, uh, you know, what is sort, of, sort of lost consciousness or something uh, because of the growth of hell. So the Lord wanted to set that straight. Part of what amazes me is that he did that not in a way of like, I will vaporize the enemies. He just said, go behind that line. Here's a line. You be on that side of the line. You're not allowed to come on this side of the line. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. If you'd like to join us, let's have some fun with that. Let's open with a prayer. Shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into our world. Please explain to us a little more, Lord, about your purpose here, what you were doing, what is your attitude toward hell, and how do you protect us from it? Amen. Pleasure to be with you, sending love to all of those of you who are out online, on the phone, getting the audio, and here in the room. Here we are in uh, Easter week, are we not? This is it, right? And so uh, for once, Bible study is somewhat timely. Uh, we'll be talking about a, a rather Eastery topic tonight. Uh, I want to start with some images from Scripture about boundaries because we're kind of talking about things where there's a line and the main thing the purpose of the line was twofold one was actually um it's strange to say it's sort of hard to believe to our lower selves but it's actually happier and better for hell to be contained than it for hell than it is for hell to be all wild and going crazy you know when it's sort of in some state of order and under some kind of restraint, it's actually better for everybody and happier, even though the hells don't think that. They always want to go, go wild and everything. Uh, so the Lord wanted to come in a way that was safe to be able to put hell in its place and say, okay, you're allowed to be here, but no further. Here's the line. You need to be behind that line so that he could protect the good and he could preserve the good. The Lord wants everybody to be on his side of the line. He wants to draw everybody over the line to the greatest extent possible. Some people are not willing to go, and so he needed to 
put that in place so that he could protect things on this side. Let's read some boundary-ish passages. I'd like to start with Exodus 19 in the left of your Bible, which is about something we read not that long ago about the when the Ten Commandments were given. There was a, a boundary set up around the mountain, and this came to mind in connection with this topic. Exodus 19, uh, verse 12. Uh, the Lord has said to Moses to go tell all the people to consecrate themselves and get ready, wash their clothes, and the third day the Lord's going to come down in the sight of all on Mount Sinai and look at verse 12 there in Exodus 19. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now, do you see why that would come to mind? There's a boundary around there. It says, it is dangerous for you to come across this line. So here's a line, and you need to stay on that side of the line. It's not that the people were necessarily evil, but they weren't really ready at that point for the Ten Commandments. It doesn't seem, because they, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they wanted Moses to do all the talking to God for them. They didn't want to be in this direct exchange. So for their protection, so here's a line. You stay on that side of the line. Let's go to the middle of the Bible. We'll be jumping all over the place tonight. Go to the Psalms. Go to the right. You get to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 35 and read about this highway again. This is so great. Verses 8 to 10. This is a you know, prediction that uh, Isaiah makes. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Ah, you see, the unclean shall not pass over it. In other words, a boundary has been set. If you're unclean, you can't go, you know, the Lord is a step. It's, it's not, you know, it's just the Lord's way of saying, this is the order of it. You're over there. Uh, the unclean is fine with me if you're unclean. You know, I'd rather you be clean, but it's your choice. I, I value your freedom. You stay over there. But this particular road is not going to be full of robbers and thieves and muggers and so on. This is going to be the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. Do go on. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Uh -huh. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. Those animals meaning negative emotions and things. Go on. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And for, for good people, uh, there's nothing more worthy of celebration and rejoicing than when you are no longer being plagued and harassed by the evil. You know, nothing's better than, oh, we're safe. Okay, we can, we can breathe. It's fine to, you know, we're not under assault. Uh, and so that's, you see why that would come to mind tonight. And let's go to um, Revelation 21, the very end in the right of your Bible. Uh, 
This is talking about the holy city, New Jerusalem, and that very last verse, 27, in Revelation 21. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah, there's been a boundary drawn. It's like no to this, yes to that. You know, the, the people who are in this condition can come in. People in another condition cannot. And look at 22 verses 14 and 15, which is a similar kind of message. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Yeah, they're outside. They, they're not allowed to enter in. It's not that the Lord is being exclusive. Anybody who wants to follow the commandments, it's great. The Lord would love to have everybody. But he's just going to establish a line. He doesn't kill people on the other side of the line or whatever. But he just says, you need to be over there. The problem is that the hells hate the Lord and they hate people who have the Lord in them and they want to attack and they want to destroy. It's sort of irresistible to them to try to harass the heavens and so on, which is why the Lord needed to come down and get things straightened out. And when you think about the image, I don't know how familiar you are, friends, with the whole sort of sweep of the Old Testament but the whole idea is that the children of Israel got carried away into captivity, eventually, the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom, and they were carried captive. But the prophets kept saying, there's going to be a time that the Lord is going to bring us back. We're going to return from the captivity. Uh, the Lord is going to create you know, Zion. Uh, it'll be a beautiful world and everything. So this vision is very present in the in the Old Testament, that there'll be a time when people are, are brought back and there's a, a safety and a peace that wasn't there before. Now, uh, point number two is that only the Lord could create this safety. People were struggling with this issue. If even the angels were struggling, certainly the people on earth were having a difficult time. And I want to show you a few stories that bear on that. Let's go into the left of your Bible, sort of a quarter of the way through, you get uh, 2 Kings. I want to go to 2 Kings, it's before Chronicles, it's after 1 and 2 Samuel. 2 Kings 19, we studied this a few years ago in Bible study, it's a passage I love very much. Um, there was uh, this a uh, bad guy. In fact, I think his biblical name was Bad Guy, uh, <laughs> who was threatening the children of Israel. And, um, and there was a prayer from the children of Israel to be protected. And this is what the Lord said, starting at verse 22. I think this is the Lord, isn't it, talking? Then Isaiah said, thus says the Lord. Yeah, let's start at verse 20. That'll give us a little more context. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I, I thought his name was bad guy, but it's Sennacherib, actually. Okay. okay. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Yeah, I just want to comment on that for a second. 
that that image of like you know this young woman and and you think oh she's going to be vulnerable or whatever there's this attack coming from the great and mighty assyrians but she just sort of oh that's ridiculous you know she's just laughing about it like oh you, you know not a chance you know she just shakes her head and everything it's a great image and relates to what we're talking about tonight go on whom have you re have you reproached and blasphemed Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Mm, the answer is here. Against the Holy One of Israel. Aha, uh -huh. it's not just the people, it's the Holy One of Israel who's been offended by what you're doing. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders. Oh, borders, it. right? I will enter the extremity, you know, I am going to cross the border into your territory. Is this something that humans sometimes do to other humans? Do we sometimes cross each other's boundaries? Do nations sometimes encroach on other people's space and things? It seems like a human thing, isn't it? I'm going to go in there. I'm, I'm going to enter into your borders. Go on. To its fruitful forest, I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Okay, now defense. this is the Lord talking to them. Let's see. Let's pick up at verse 27. But uh, This is the Lord speaking, I believe. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Yes, listen to that. Mm, go on. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. That's very powerful to me. This is what the Lord wants to do. You're coming up. You're encroaching. You've crossed the boundary. I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I'm going to turn you back the way you came. You are not coming in here. Just setting, not saying, not going to kill you. Just going to turn you back the way you came. But you have to go back where you, where you came from. And uh, look at, um, down at verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow here, there, sorry. nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So, you know, I'm sure you can follow the correspondences that the city has to do with heaven, with the Lord's protection over people who want to be with him. And so you see that spirit. It's just you're not in here. You are not behind that line. Go back the way you came. You're not coming in here. So part of what the Lord was doing was to do that protection. And you can see that uh, there's some sense in that passage, and we'll see some more in the next couple, uh, that it, the, we need the Lord, you know, who, who among us can put that hook in that nose and that bridle, you know, who can turn that around and send it the other way? Uh, the Lord has that power. This becomes even clearer in Job, if you turn to the right, 
If you go to the Psalms, you've gone too far. Let's go to Job chapter 40. Um, and the Lord is asking Job whether he has the power to solve his own problems, basically. It's just a wonderful essay. I'd love to read it at greater length. But let's read, let's start at verse 6 and go down there in Job 40. And he's asking whether Job has the power. This is the point, is that uh, do we have... Okay, there needs to be a boundary set. Can we do that ourselves? Are we so powerful against hell that we can say, you're not allowed in here? Uh, listen to what God says about that. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Mm. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like His? Isn't that an awesome question? <laughs> yeah. God has real guns, you know. I mean, God is serious, you know. Is, it, is your arm like God? Can you deal with that? Do you, do you have that? Can you thunder with a voice like God? Go on. Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. You can almost hear the knock yourself out, you know, like, <laughs> go, go, you know, bring it. Do you, do you really have it? <laughs> Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is Oh, yeah. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Now, that's a very important statement. Uh, you may remember in Genesis 3.15 that it talks about uh, the bruising. Uh, he'll bruise your heel. You shall bruise his head. There's this idea of treading. And that's so important. Part of what the Lord was doing, that establishment of the line was just, hey, you down here. And, and the foot that he used to do that was his human manifestation in the world, his outer self. Get that down. His foot was in the right place to deal with that snake. So put it down. And you see that here, don't you? Tread down the wicked. In the, just, just get, you're just moving them back with your foot, not crushing them. Just, move, just you go back there, cross that line. Go on. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. In other words, if you can do that, dear Job, then I will say, sure, you can you go, go right ahead and save yourself. Because uh -huh. that's what salvation requires, is the power to be able to get hell into its place. And if you can't do that, then you need God. So the point of this tonight is we need God to do that. The same kind of message comes across in the next chapter in the terms of this Leviathan, this great beast, this sort of water serpent. And you notice the language of a hook again. And God is asking Job, go on, 41 verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook mm. or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make any supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? <laughs> Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? 
Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you leash him for your maidens? Isn't that awesome? Just like, are you so powerful? You can just toy with this monster. You get a horse around with him, you know? Can you put a hook in him and, and get him to do whatever you want? Go on. Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. I see. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? Even at the sight of, you know, the first sight of this monster, it's like, oh, I am so dead. You know, you, you're not feeling like, oh, I can easily deal with you. Only the Lord can deal with this monster. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. And then, who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. Omnipotent power that God has to deal, deal with that hell. And to be able to do it through that foot, that treading, through his outer self, to be able to just push that serpent right on the other side of that line. There you go. Put, put the wicked in their place. Not destroy them. It's a better place for them. But just you need to be over there. Just the clarity and the order of it. So read this now, good friends, that actually bears on the Easter story itself. Let's go to the Gospel of John in the New Testament and look at chapter 18 there. I love this story. This is in the, in the garden when people come to arrest Jesus. So let's start at the beginning of chapter 18 of John there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received detachment of troops, a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Mm. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now, this impresses me that the Lord starts the conversation. So here, here they all come, and instead of running or hiding or whatever, wonder how this is going to go, whatever, he goes forward. He goes out to meet them, and he says, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Yes, and in your Bible, dear reader, is that he italicized? Yes, it is. I see. And what do the italics mean in a Bible, dear reader? That means it's not really, there's not a word for that specific word in the original language. Okay, so what would it be, how would you read it if it didn't have that word in it? I am. I am. Now, I you may am. remember that in yes. Exodus chapter 3, I think it is, that, that when Moses at the burning bush, he says, who shall I say? you know, sent me, and he said, I am. Uh, Jesus says, I am. So who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am. And look what happens here. Go on. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am. That's right. They drew back and fell to the ground. Boom. Boundary. I am. Boom. Back they go down to the ground. 
This is a whole phalanx of, of military, you know, they've come to arrest this person. He says the words, I am, bang, the boundary is created. They go back, they go down. Only problem with that is we're not going to have the crucifixion, you know, <laughs> because that power from the I am that was within him is going to make, it, it make him uncrucifiable. You know, it's not going to work. So he has to make an adjustment. So how does it go? Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. If you seek me, let these go their way. That's right. And then the drama unfolds from there. And so I think what's happening there is that the first time he's in the divine, you know, like he's got, he's, I am, he is the I am. He says, bang, blown down to the ground. Second time he's, oh, okay. He goes down to his human. So I'm told, I told you that I am. Uh, and then he's arrestable and sees, you know, they, they take hold of him and all that, led him away. And, and uh, they bound him down in verse 12. And he was unbindable before, before that. But you have a great picture there to me of that, the you just, boom, like it doesn't take a second. They draw back and fall to the ground, you know, like that I am just pushes him back behind the line. And then it's like, okay, this is not going to work. Okay, so he does it a different way. And then they're allowed to come and capture him. But I love that, love that moment. And that's an Easter, you know, that's an Easter moment, right? That, that's right in the crucifixion. So that's who was within there. So he was actually willing, he says, I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up again, of his own life. So he was actually willing to be captured, to be bound. It wasn't some accident. It wasn't like, oh, they overpowered him. No, he made a choice to go down into the only kind of vulnerable part of himself that was left to have this be able to unfold uh, because as he was in himself, he had the they, they couldn't have touched him. Uh, but that was part of the point, that engagement. He wants to get all the way down there into that engagement. So I love that. Now, the next interesting point to me, and this is the way the Lord is, just as soon as you figure out, wow, the Lord is really amazing and He's very different from us, the next thing is that the Lord wants to give us that same thing that He has. He's always, always doing that. I tried a few years ago in Bible study to... to think of a list of things that, that the Lord does that are unique to the Lord. And it's just like every single thing he wants his disciples to do, and he brings them into it. So look at Luke, turn to the left and go to Luke chapter 9. What does he do in 9 verse 1 there? We should get some music for these. Yes, these these moments are so rare, though. Yeah. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Wow. Didn't take more than a whole verse to do it. He just gave them the power and authority over all devils and to cure disease. Just, just like that. Just here you go. Here's the power. So he's sending them out. This is the, sending them out. And you see in verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, gives them some advice for the journey and so on. And then look in chapter 10. 
starting at the 17th verse. So after this, you see in 10 verse 1, he appoints 70 also, sends them out two by two all over the place. And then you hear, so chapter 9 sends out the 12, chapter 10 sends out the 70, and then you hear what happens when the 70 come back in verse 17 there. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Somehow the Lord was able to give them that ability of like, back, you know, give them the ability to, to put, push them back, back behind the line there. Uh, and I love the Lord's response here. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is one place where I, I'm sure there are a few exclamation points in Scripture, but I would have put an exclamation point in there if I were translating it. Uh, is there one in your? No. Nope. No, okay. Uh, I, I think he's just rejoicing. He sent out the 12, he sent out the 70, just sort of armed them and everything. And then instead of saying, I did this or something, they go out, they come back, they said, it's amazing. It actually, like, worked, you know. We said things, and they, they went away, and it was awesome. And, and, and he says, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. He saw it happen, you know. And he's just a witness. He didn't even do it. He got them to do it, you know. He, he shares it with them. And then uh, look at verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Oh, they're going to be trampling on serpents, treading on them, like pushing them down. Isn't that perfect? Sorry. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Listen to that. Over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. The Lord came into the world not only to get that power himself, but to give it to his followers so that nothing will hurt you. And then he has a little advice there in case they're feeling a little overexcited about it all. <laughs> Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's right. This is not about having control over evil spirits. The main thing is about being able to be in heaven and to be safe, to be able to keep that at a distance. But the, it's all about heaven. It's not about, hey, I've got power to boss uh, evil spirits around or something. But so that's, that's very interesting to me that, that, um, that he wants to give that power to us. In fact, turn to the left and go to Mark chapter 9. Mm. Mark chapter 9, let's start at verse uh, 17. We seem to be on a 17-ish kind of roll tonight. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They couldn't. Mm. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So his reaction to their inability to deal with this particularly difficult evil spirit is not, oh, I totally understand. It took me years to get this, you know, I, I don't worry, hang in there. No, he kind of, he calls them faithless. You know, how long am I going to have to put up with y'all? You know, he just actually expresses astonishment that they're not able to deal with it. 
he, in other words, he's so committed to this idea that we've got to gain this ability uh, that, that he actually chides us when we don't display it. Verse 20. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Mm. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That to destroy him is a very interesting detail, isn't it? That this is not a benevolent force or something in this child's life. It's trying to destroy the child. Uh, and it's encro talk about encroachment. Worst kind of encroachment is to have it in your head, in your body and everything, you know, taking over your life. And so go on. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Mm. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Isn't that what we're talking about? leave this space, I want you outside this person, and do not come into him ever again. You're, you're done. Off, off you go. And what happened? Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had... And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Yes, an interesting statement. Now, I don't know how to interpret that literally because how long did the Lord have to fast in the last few minutes since he heard about, you know, he, he must mean sort of a history of uh, repentance of doing the spiritual work and so on that, that that's how you come to this point by prayer and fasting then you're at this point where you're clear enough that the the, the God can flow through you and, and deal with this in this way so uh, and the picture of that the ultimate picture of that is uh, let's go to the right to John 14 I just think this is the most beautiful summary and if I had to give you one Easter wish it would be this phrase in John 14, 20. This is what the Lord says to his disciples. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's how this thing works. Uh, I am in my, you know, the Lord became one with that Father when he said, I am. Right toward the end of his life, he says, I am. They're all blown back. And they, you know, he he's, is the embodiment of that divine uh, uh, he is in the Father, you're in the Lord, the Lord is in you. That's what it's all about. And that's why the Lord is able to give us, that's why I call him the nexus, uh, and others do too, because he's a connection between the Father, this infinite divine, that's got all power and everything, but to apply it down into this level, not only so it can deal with hell and push it back, but also so that it can give us 
that power, that ability, uh, so that we're in the Lord, the Lord's in us, the Father is in, in Jesus, you know, it's all together, meaning divine love, or the divine in itself, the divine human and present in us, so that we have that power. And there will be some future day, at that day you will know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, I'm in you. That's the ultimate picture. So I wanted to just give you, I think we're pretty well to the end of the passages I wanted to cover tonight. I wanted to give you a picture for those of you who are getting the visuals. Uh, this is a picture of uh, the before situation. I've got the evil down on the lower right and the good up on the left. And the evil is encroaching. It's reaching out like flames or hands or something. You know, just it's the nature of it. We've observed it in ourselves. We see it around us in our world. It's invasive. It wants to dominate. I was having the thought today, maybe this is a simple thought, maybe this is a difficult thought to express, I don't know. But I thought the only way for heaven and hell to exist is for heaven to be in charge of hell. Because heaven will allow hell to exist. It even wants to help people to, to thrive and have better lives or whatever. But if hell were in charge, it would, destroy, it would try everything in its power to destroy heaven. And there would, there would be no heaven. So you couldn't have hell on the top and heaven on the bottom. It doesn't work that way. Got to be heaven on the top, hell on the bottom. That's the only way it works. And so what the Lord wanted to do with this situation of evil encroaching, and Swedenborg uses very powerful language for this, as you may have read, he says that total damnation stood threatening at the door. I think that what he means is that not only would all the people in hell be in hell, all the people on earth would go to hell, all the people in heaven would go to hell, or what, you know, like total damnation stood threatening at the door. So the Lord had to do something about the situation. Only the Lord could deal with it, and only his foot. Only his presence in this natural world, only the nexus, the connection between the divine and the human, could push that snake, push the wickedness back across that line and say, no. And so he did a line. Here I've got a graphic of the line. For those of you who see the visuals, I made it a nice red line. Do we not have in our history uh, stuff about the red line? There was somebody who sat down with a, with a map and said, Here, here's the red line, and you're safe if you're within this line and you're not safe on you, if you're on the other side of the line. So the Lord drew that, you know, uh, behind that line. Evil needs to stay behind that line. Um, the way, now you might ask, how, how does the Lord get that to be back there and to stay there? And the answer to that, I'm delighted to see we have a little time to get into this. How would, how would the Lord preserve this? This is obviously a very nice situation for the good that they've got their safe place now and, and hell is not going to come out. But how does the Lord create and establish that line? Say evil is on this side, good is on that side. And, and he, it's okay with him that they both continue to exist. It's just like this encroachment thing, that's not happening. You're, I'm going to send you back the way you came. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bridle in your lips and get you to go back where you were. This is fine. I'm all right with you being here. You're not being up here. You know, because this needs to have that peace. Uh, this, this needs to have that closeness with God. It needs to be allowed to exist and to, ha and to have its, its good thing. Um, so 
uh, how the Lord did that essentially was with the presence of divine truth. You read about this in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, at least there's a hint of it in there. The power of divine truth from divine love was so great, it's just hard to fathom. You, you hear it in those wonderful passages from Job we just read tonight. Uh, you know, are you able, does your arm, can you do all that powerful stuff? The Lord has that power. Look in Revelation, uh, where do I have that written on here? It is uh, 6, uh, it's right at the end there. Let's start at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Yes, that's right. And the reason it talks about the one on the throne and the lamb is that that's the divine and the human. And when those two are together, the lamb is the human, one on the throne is the divine. They're together in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, it says in Colossians 2 verse 9. And so they say uh, that is so terrifying. That presence of good and truth is so terrifying Swedenborg has these great analogies about how in the presence of that, all it is, you know, truth is the form of love. All it is is just love. It's just this infinite love and truth coming their way. But when you're on the wrong side of that fence, it is just terrifying to you. That It's terrifying. Uh, Swedenborg says that in the presence of that divine truth, people who are committed to evil would not dare to put out to put a finger out. If they did, they would feel as if a vulture was tearing at their heart. He's, you know, it's absolutely viscerally terrifying to them. And you see a little image of this here that they not only hide, you know, it's not like God said, I'm going to put you in a cave. They said, I am going to hide in a cave. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide, you know, please be a cave. Please be a rock. Please stop me from having to deal with that divine truth and that divine love that's out here. I cannot deal with it. And the mercy of the Lord is like, that's fine. I'll give you a place down here where you don't have to be tormented by that. I'm not trying to torture you or whatever. I just, that presence is what will create that line so these people are going to be safe up here. The good will be safe. And so they say that. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Some of you may have heard me years ago talking about this passage because it really, at one time in the past, cracked me up so much, the idea of the wrath of the Lamb. You know, what is more angry than this little cute little, you know, so, oh no, it's an angry little lamb. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's all about that presence of God in that human form, that that divine truth and that love that comes across to them as this wrath, uh, they just uh, got to get away from it. And that's how the Lord establishes that line and gets them to be back there. Um, let's go real quick for fun, shall we? Uh, if you go into the middle of your Bible... 
go to the right through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, you will get to Hosea next. I want to go to Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. Here's this prophecy in the Old Testament. Also the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. This was something that Israel did that was bad. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. Mm, that's they, not good. That's not good when thorn and thistles grow on your altar. They don't have a good correspondence. So in other words, your worship of God has gotten corrupted somehow. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. That's right. There it is, right? Mm -hmm. Same deal. Ah, don't, you know, like protect us. And look in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, if you would. Chapter 17. Uh, what do I want here? Is it that what I want? No, 23. I'm sorry. Luke 23. This is also during Easter week. Uh, the Lord is talking to people as he's going off. Um, uh, 23 verse 30. I've got the wrong one here. 23 verse 30. So he's talking to people as he's, he's you know, on the, on the procession to the um, crucifixion. Let's pick it up in verse 27 there. Luke 23, verse 27. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? That's right. So that's another thing. You know, there it is right during Easter week. He's talking about fall on us, cover us. They, they don't want to deal with that presence of the Lord. One final thought I want to give you about this, friends, is that um, in our own lives... We have this interesting relationship. Like, so, okay, you would say, okay, the Lord got that power. He can push hell back. He can create that line and all that stuff. He, he did that. So why are we a mess? Why is our world a mess? You know, didn't he push that back? Well, um, the analogy that came to mind uh, is a bit strange, but it's as if the Lord, f forgive me, Lord, for this analogy, but... Uh, Imagine the Lord being a bouncer, like a very powerful bouncer at a club or something like that. And he's able to deal with anybody, it doesn't matter the gangs, whoever, he, he can deal with anybody who shows up. But we're the owner of the club. He's the bouncer. He put himself in that situation. He said, your club, your choice, I'll, I'll be your bouncer. I can deal with anybody you want me to deal with. Well, if we say, ah, they're okay, let them in. He'll say, it's your funeral, you know. If you want me to get rid of them, I'll get rid of them. But you're the owner. You want to invite those guys in here? That's fine. So we are allowed to invite that into ourselves. He can keep heaven safe from that. While we're in this world, you know, it's up to us whether we want to be with the Lord and say, no, I agree with you, Lord. We don't want that in here. And don't let them in. And say to the bouncer, hey, I trust you, you know who's bad 
you keep those bad guys out of here. I don't want anybody like that in my club. Uh, but it, it, we can, um, what do you call it? We can undo the default setting or so, like we can, we can invite, we invite those evil spirits in. The Lord says, okay. So he had, just because he has the power, the point of that analogy being just because he has the power doesn't mean he always exercises for us all the time. It's up to our free choice what we want to have rattling around in our head, what we like, what we love, and so on. And there are reasons why the Lord allows that. But it is nonetheless important to know that he has the power. If we ever want to say, hey, I don't like the look of that. I thought they were fine. I thought they were my friend. I don't like the look of them. Call a bouncer because he can, he can deal with those people. He has the power to get them. He's not going to struggle with it. He has the power to, to get them out of there when we need that. And the beauty of this vision of like heaven forevermore, it, it's, it's safe. It is in his loving arms. He says he's written us in the palm of his hands. We'll never, ever slip out. You know, we, we're not going to fall out of his grasp. Because we are, we are written there, right? See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands, he says. Uh, the Lord can keep, keep the good, keep a growing, enlarging heaven. This is the whole point of the creation of the universe is for uh, heaven from the human race to have the good together with the Lord, living in the Lord and the Lord in them. The angels, uh, the Lord constitutes the heavens. The angels only populate it. Swedenborg says, you're living in the Lord when you're in that heaven. And so that was the most important thing in creation. That's why the Lord came into this world, just to say, hey, I need you all. If you're going to be that, you're going to be evil if you want, but I need you behind that line. That's what the Lord came here to do. Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, divine love and also perfect divine truth. Thank you for gaining that power. Thank you for using it so mercifully so that it is the best thing for all concerned. You establish that order. You create that line. It's better for everyone. We thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, Lord. Thank you for going through all the things that you went through, the attacks from the hell that gave you one power after another that made you stronger and stronger until you were able to say, I am, and all the soldiers go back and fall to the ground. Thank you, Lord. Please exercise that power in our lives as we get clear on what evil is and wish to be rid of it. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, especially at Easter, so the Lord can create that line in us.